Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But what you may not know is that in addition to this podcast, we also host two live races in the Wilmington, North Carolina area that are designed to do the same. The first is the final countdown, which takes place on September 16th. And whether you've never run before or you're a hardcore ultra veteran, this race is designed to help you find your limits. And we will be there to help celebrate with you. And we have now opened registration for the Hydra, which will take place on April 20th and has a 50K individual, a 50K relay, and a half marathon option. Whatever option you choose, we promise that slaying the Hydra will be unlike any race you've ever experienced. All right, so mark your calendars, share with your friends, and visit us at theultrarunningguys.com or check out the links in the show notes for more info. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. One thing I would focus on when it comes to not wanting to eat about 50 miles would be making the variety of the amount of food that you are eating like huge. And so this is another area where you can practice on your short runs. You can practice eating a bunch of different stuff. And so there's kind of, you want sweet stuff, you want salty stuff, you want savory stuff, you want liquid stuff, and you want fresh stuff. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And so as always to the Ultra Running Guys family, thank you so much for taking the time. We are appreciative. And if you're finding value, please leave the review, share with your friends, do the rating. That really helps us out, helps us get great guests. And speaking of great guests, let's jump right in because we are excited. This episode is all about nutrition. And so it's no surprise that the majority of runners have prepped hard for a race only to be plagued by nausea, lack of appetite, or major bonking that leads to either suboptimal outcome or in the worst cases, the dreaded DNF. Well, have no fear because we got you covered. So our guest tonight has been a registered dietitian nutritionist since 2010. And after she and her husband fell in love with the trail and ultra scene in 2014, she eventually left her clinical job and now specializes in helping ultra runners maximize performance by dialing in their fueling strategies for training and then structuring and nailing that race day nutrition plan. So stick around because we're going to be jumping into what you should be eating, how much you should be eating, and how important factors like salts and fluids are in ensuring that you crush your fueling plan. This is one you do not want to miss. And with that, Julie Shobe, welcome to the show. Jeremy, that intro, I mean, I'm going to have to like steal that <laughs> and like put it somewhere and use it for all of the times I get asked for an intro. That was amazing. Thank you. My royalty <laughs> rate is pretty low. So we'll talk about that. Just, just sign <laughs> on the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. I'll take what I can get. I no, I appreciate that though. But you, I mean, you made it easy. You've been doing a lot. We talked kind of before you've done a lot of shows. You were on our friends trail to 100. Uh, we were lucky enough to be guests on there as well. And you, you've just done a fantastic job. We know you're going to be a huge value add to our audience. And actually with that, I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners and friends, Lindsay Medford. She's on Instagram at, at Lindsay runs wild for pointing us your way. She, she messaged us and said, 
I have a guest you need to talk to. It's Julie Shobe, and I have learned so much about nutrition just from her accounts and her messaging. So, Lindsay, huge shout out. Thanks for pointing us in your direction. How fun. I didn't know that, but I know I've communicated with her. So that's awesome. It's kind of cool, though, to hear how you influence people through social media and don't even realize it sometimes, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, before we get started, sorry, I know we got questions and everything. I'm going to go ahead and give a quick segue for those who are listening because, and I don't always talk about myself because I absolutely hate doing that. But a few weeks ago, I, um, I guess two or three months ago, I started noticing I had some blurry vision going on and I thought it was just because I was getting older, but instead it was because my, um, glucose sugars in my body got out of control and completely blew up. And so for the past few weeks, um, I got, well, I guess I should slow down and say that three weeks ago, I was told that my A1C was 8.7, which is pretty high. It's um, considered severe on the diabetes range at this point. And so I've had to take a lot of changes to, to my diet. Um, I'm still on some meds and I've got a new med I was just added on as well. I'm also playing around with things like intermittent fasting and things like that. And so um, I'm only saying that to you because I'm figuring things out. I'm dealing with a bunch of fatigue. I'm dealing with struggling with not having enough carbs at times or not energy. And so um, I know I'm transitioning through a variety of adaptations, but my questions tonight are, are probably going to be laced with some selfish motives. And so I just <laughs> want you to know that Jeremy and as well as you, Julie, you're like, why does he keep talking about carbs? Why is he so curious about them? That's where I'm coming from. No, that's great. Great knowledge. For over a decade, I worked in the diabetes education space. I hold a certified diabetes educator certification and worked in, with a lot of people who had type 2 diabetes, a lot of kids with type 1 diabetes. I worked with kids for over five years. Um, yeah, it makes it tricky, right? Mm -hmm. It makes it really tricky when uh, the main fuel source for ultra running is carbohydrates. And then we have this issue of blood sugar management, and then we get like a a little bit of fear of carbs in there too. And I'm happy to have those conversations with you, Jeff. That'd be great. Awesome. We'll be, we'll be doing that throughout. Um, yep. Well, it'll be good. Cause obviously we've got a lot of questions, your background. I'm sure, you know, most people listening are dying to know, right. How to improve their performance. And so to Jeff's point, we may just say, okay, now in light of that situation, are there any additional considerations? Right. But before we get into all of that, so I said in the intro, you've been an RDN, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist, since 2010. What drew you to nutrition as a career in the first place? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. Um, as a lot of college age kids, I think, go through a period of time of undecidedness, right? Like you asked what your major is and you're undecided. And I was undecided for a couple of years. And honestly, you know, uh, you'll find with a lot of dietitians, um, we go into it because we've had some kind of history of disordered eating. You get obsessed with food. Now, I never had an eating disorder. I didn't have like a clinical diagnosed eating disorder, but I definitely had history of disordered eating patterns, which are two different things. And so a lot of dietitians, I, I think if you really talk to them and they are truthful with you, will admit that that is partly why we go into it is because when you have these disordered eating patterns, um, you tend to get food obsessed. And so you want to learn all about all of these different types of foods. 
And yeah, you get really interested in nutrition and trying to control it and control your body. Yeah, that's been a whole process for me too of growing from that. And I don't know if that's exactly the answer that you are looking for, but that's that's the truth. That's why I got into it because I was just like really intrigued by food for a period of time in my life. So I think that's a great answer personally. I think it, it kind of shows a little bit of your passion about how you got into something like that. I think even, you, you know, saying that those that get into uh, nutrition may have had some sort of eating disorder or disorders um, associated with eating. as you said, um, you see the same thing with psychologists and counselors too. Most of those have had some sort of trauma that they've experienced and like, I really want to get into helping people and stuff. So that makes a lot of sense to me, but why ultra running? Yes. So as I've already told you, I worked over a decade in diabetes education and that was by accident that I got into that. I just was working with a diabetes educator and she left and they needed somebody to fill her position. And I was like, maybe I can do that. So then I did. Um, but that doesn't answer your current question about ultra running. So I, I worked over a decade in diabetes education and as a lot of people do get burned out in their um, career and also was not happy in a clinical position either working nine to five. I have two young kids. I have a five-year-old and uh, oh my gosh, she turns one a week from Thursday. Um, <laughs> so when this comes out, I'm going to have a one-year-old, uh, which makes me so sad, but Anyway, so I was unhappy in that clinical position and through a series of events, I needed to quit. And so I did. And we tend to go to the rut every year. Have you guys heard of that? The rut mountain runs it's in, it's near big sky, Montana. So it's a very, very fun event. If you ever go anyway, so we were at the rut and I had about 11 friends racing that weekend and six out of the 11 friends had problems fueling. And four out of those six DNF'd their race because of puking or nausea or whatever. And then the other two are very talented runners and they just didn't race as fast as they could have because they literally were projectile vomiting on the side of the trail. So, um, so it really, and this was in that period of time after I had quit and was personal training. And I was just like, wow, like, this is a big problem. And, you know, my husband and I have been a part of the ultra running world for quite a while at this point in time. And I talked to them. So I, I got each and every one of them on a zoom call with me. And, um, just cause I was interested and I wanted to hear what they had fueled with and what they thought had gone wrong. And it was really interesting to me because they all blamed the food as being the problem for their nausea or GI upset. And it was very clear to me that they didn't understand how to actually fuel and put all of these pieces together. So it's not actually the food that's causing the problem, it's the lack of food that's causing the problem. So then there sprung on my idea to go into ultra running. And then I was like, well, this is kind of awesome. This is very carb centric as well. And my diabetes education is also carb centric. So I have great background and just like knowledge of carbohydrates. And from there, I've learned a lot too, just from growing from just that basic uh, conversations that I had with people that I picked up of, you know, this, this sounds wrong. This sounds wrong. This sounds wrong. 
and this is what I think you need to do. And then of course I did a lot of research as well, and then have grown my knowledge and uh, practice since then and helped quite a few ultra runners through Instagram for free or people who have hired me and worked with me in my programs, or also I have an online course. So it's been really, really fun to, to grow from there. I wanted to be one of the 11. <laughs> what you mean one of the five well right? i mean i've i've dnf races i remember right. the yeti 100 laying on the trail nausea retching and just trying to figure out how am i going to get up and then make it to the next aid, aid station so i can get in the car and go home i just remember yeah. that <laughs> you don't sign up for a race to do that no right. like you want it to be way way different of an experience <laughs> it was a rough day but yeah yeah We'll talk about oh. specifics. I, I personally have never vomited during a race, but I always get to the point where I'm just, I just don't want anything. My wife's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't want anything. Like nothing sounds good. I know I need to feel. So we'll talk about those mm -hmm. types of things. So I think we'll probably have, you know, come at it from different angles. And I know everybody listening's probably been like, I've been in both those spots. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm interested. One of the things is I was getting ready for this. Cause you hear about when you talk about training plans and I don't know if I'll articulate this well, but there's like marathon training plans. You can find them all over the place. Right. But you always hear, Oh, like getting into ultras is not just a longer marathon. So I was interested from a nutrition standpoint, because there's a lot of people who do work with marathoners and some of the shorter distances and runners and dietitians, things like that. What have you seen, or has there been anything that's surprising that going from what you were doing before to stepping into the ultra world with people that want to run 30, 50, a hundred miles at one time. Was that an adjustment for you from a nutritionist viewpoint? I'm not sure I understand the question. Can you give me more what, what you mean? So I think one of the things we're trying to understand is if I'm training for a marathon, I've got to do certain types of, I'm going to do booze every 45 minutes, or I'm going to come up with some sort of eating nutrition strategy to help me meet the requirements to, to, complete that marathon or the half marathon when i've ventured in to ultra running did you find yourself that there are nutritional needs that are different that have to sustain me for a longer period of time than what is typically seen in maybe a marathon or a half yes absolutely there are much different nutrition recommendations for marathon and under versus ultra marathon and over if you have an, a marathon and i do get this question on instagram from people occasionally i have a marathon that's going to take me like six seven hours then yes like it's really based off of the amount of time that it takes a person rather than necessarily the distance. So if somebody is going out for six hours or longer, then yes, the recommendations for carbs, for sodium, for fluid. And then the biggest difference is protein becomes a factor, at least with the fueling method that I recommend really is the, the biggest difference. Things under uh, ultra marathon are less than that six hours. Carb, fuel, uh, fluid, and sodium are also quite important, but you might not necessarily need as much. Did I get the answer right? Yes. Okay. I mean, I think that's what I was looking for. Right? Is is do you Whether have to? It's right. Do you have to take? Right, that's true. Did you get it right? I don't know. Uh, you're the nutritionist, right? right? But, <laughs> but I yeah. answered your question. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. like you had to take into account just the different situations and potentially apply different principles based off of what somebody's trying to accomplish. Well, I think the idea is that your body's going to need different types of fuel for longer periods of time in an ultra that. Um, 
your fuel has to sustain because you have a different type of breakdown going on that you're trying to maintain. Um, and that's the difference. In a shorter race, you are really just burning your, your glycogen, your glycogen stores rather, sorry, glucose, and just burning through it and calling it a day. Yeah. And I think though, when I think about it too, right. Cause it's just like, Oh, I need carbs for a run. And I would just, the longer I go, I would just increase that. But I want to di dive in in a minute to your point on protein and some of those different things. So it's not just necessarily more of the same for more running It's that some of these different things come into play before we get into that though, I I'm interested because I know that you've got to get questions about all kinds of different types of eating right? Whether it's, Hey, high carb or what types of carb, this carb versus that carb, or obviously, you know, there's the fat adaptation and the keto and different things, right? What's your approach to the various paths to success that we see? Cause you're going to hear success stories from all that kind of variety. How do you approach that with people when you get those questions? Yeah. So there's, I feel like there's, you know, carb heavy, which is the way that I recommend fueling plus, plus protein. You get the people that say they want to eat real food, the real food approach, which I also think is like my approach as well. And then you have the fat adapted and more keto, like, you know, low carb, high fat. Uh, it's not keto. They're very clear on that. It's not keto um, approach as well. Any approach, you know, nutrition, they're so exact right or wrong answers when it comes to nutrition, right? It, there's a lot of gray. And I really try and take the judgment out of nutrition too. Like, yes, there are all these different approaches. That's great. You can go try it out and see how it works. There's definitely approaches that I don't recommend. And there's approaches that I do recommend. Carb-centric with protein and then adding, you guys talked about adding a lot of variety in your fueling is quite important, which brings in that real food aspect. And then um, the fat adapted approach is one that we see pro athletes doing really well with. And um, it's just not one that I, I recommend for a number of reasons, um, and which I'm happy to go into if you want to talk about that. I think it's interesting because I agree that there's, there appears to be a lot of gray when it comes to nutrition. I agree with that statement. There's part of me that also disagrees with it. Um, and I'll say why. Don't worry. Uh, it's the idea that... Um, you can disagree with me. I'm, no, 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 I'm no, 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 no. Well, <laughs> no, that's, that's the beauty of this is that um, I think with nutrition that people are pretty locked into their beliefs. And sometimes they'll get anecdotal stories of somebody like an elite athlete who may be really good at low carb, high fat, or they could be good at high carb, no fats or whatever it is they're doing, right? Whatever mm -hmm. trend diet was successful for their best friend. And so they will lock into an anecdotal story, but there's a science behind it that a majority of the people will function better with a certain diet regardless. Um, and that is not gray. And uh, you know what I mean? Like that, that's the difference here. And so you run a fine line as, as a licensed nutritionist, dietitianist, right? You, you run this line of, of giving the science answer up against somebody's beliefs. And I imagine that you, you have to, to dance that a little bit, but what I would ask of you is to feel very confident in what the science tells you and that the, everybody else, we all have our anecdotal stories, just allow us to kind of work through what you're saying, because you can't argue with it. I mean, we can't argue with it because, you know, and the everybody who's listening is really just stuck you in their ear so they can't say anything back to you. Right? <laughs> but, but that's the point right. is that, you know, is that most of what we hear is a story of somebody who's had success 
And there is a preponderance of evidence and data that actually demonstrates sometimes different truth than those things. And so it's okay to, to confront us and hit us in the face with a different belief system than maybe we want to hear. Thank you. If I might add to that too, there are definitely recommendations that I give out to people that are not research-based, right? Like it's because in this, this general thing will typically work better for most people, but do I have research to back it? No. And that happens all the time in nutrition. So, um, so yeah, there's, it, it comes on all sides. And I would think too, that there's probably not as much evidence-based information in ultras for people that are running hundred miles compared to just the, the average population. So yes. uh, your experience, I would think is very valuable with what you're doing. You're going to have insight that the majority of people will not. So I appreciate that aspect. Um, I am interested in hearing because you, because you mentioned it, what is the reason or what are the reasons um, in terms of, because there are a lot of people, fat adaptation. Talk to us about that. Yeah. If you guys want, I actually just got quoted in the trail running magazine. I think the article is on running on ketones is what it's called. So if you want, that's a great um, article to go read. Anytime a person limits their intake of a type of food without maybe a medical need, right? With diabetes, you have to be mindful of carbohydrates, but without a medical need, there tends to be become this food obsession, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And that can tend to lead down to disordered eating patterns or eating just full-blown eating disorders. And a high fat, low carb diet, it's right there in the name there. We're limiting a very large macronutrient, which is needed for our body to function properly. It's needed for our brain to function properly. And it's needed for our muscles and our hormones and everything in our body to function properly. We don't have a whole lot of energy if we don't eat carbs. So our body has a mechanism to adapt to it. Thank God that it, it exists. And that's burning fat for energy instead of carbohydrates, which produces ketones. If you're, if you have diabetes, by the way, producing ketones is not good at all for, for your body. It's ketones are quite acidic and can cause you to get quite sick um, and not feel very good. So People that do this are riding a very fine line of producing these ketones and basically living day to day like this. So, so that's actually kind of both my points right there. So it, it's a mental load on somebody as well, as well as a physical load on somebody that I find unnecessary and unbeneficial when it comes to ultra running. What about the counter argument is the idea that when you are fat adapted, you have a greater resource or reservoir of energy to use is kind of what I hear a lot. Now, I'm yeah. not a personally, even though I've been diagnosed with this, I'm not approaching a low carb, uh, um, high fat diet. I'm actually trying to keep fruits and certain things in my body as part of my attempts to maintain my blood glucose level at a controllable level. I'm not there yet, but that's my goal is to keep fruits and stuff in my diet. But the counter argument on the low carb, high fat is that fat is a better energy source. And so it's not just about carrying less food. It's about if I can tap into that, I can keep burning longer and I don't have to, it's once I deplete my glycogen stores, then I'm good to go. Thank you for bringing this up. So I think it's funny because I, I feel like this low fat, sorry, low carb, high fat, I even said it wrong. 
makes it sound like our metabolism just flips the switch, like burn out those glycogen stores. And then all of a sudden you're burning your fat for energy and you can go for, for hours and hours and hours and hours on end burning through your fat stores. Our metabolism doesn't work that way. So our body, when we start to move, especially at these lower intensity rates during an ultra marathon, we just are burning fat in the background along with carbohydrates. And another thing that doesn't get brought up enough, in my opinion, is that in order to burn fat, you have to consume carbs. Like if you look at the metabolic process of how your body burns fat, you have to have a carbohydrate to start the whole process. Mm -hmm. So with a higher carb approach, like one that I push for with people to use, you're still burning fat as energy when you're out there running your ultra marathon, you're actually probably, in my opinion, probably burning it more efficiently because you are feeding that mechanism with carbohydrates and also feeding your body with carbohydrates at the same time. Both of these processes happen at the same time. It's not like one happens and then the other. Why short yourself on carbohydrates when your body's just going to burn fat for energy anyway? And I think that's the confusing part for people is, is that they don't think they're burning fat anyway, right? It's we like, are. it's, it's either, or as opposed to mm -hmm. both. And, and I think that's maybe the disconnect here. It's, um, is that it's commonly thought of an either, or I'm going to either burn this or I'm going to burn that. And what you're trying to communicate to us hard-headed people is that it's both. And yeah. So it confuses me sometimes when I'm listening yeah. to things like this, I'm like, what, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. But that's the belief system that you're up against, right? And you're in a sport mm -hmm. where people are, are locked into anecdotal ideas of how energy is burnt and used. And we're all like, no, I should be able to do this. And you're like, it doesn't work that way. So, so talk to us though, quick about, you talked about, hey, we need carbs actually to burn fat effectively. But then you also said we need protein, right? To burn carbs effective or efficiently. Is that correct? So same thing, right? Your body is going to utilize carb, protein, and fat while you are out there running. It's going to be burning all three. Carb and fat are the, the two main ones that are, your body is using for energy while we are running. Right. Protein is being used as well, but it's not the main one that we want it to be tapped into. What happens is if we get so low on energy, our carbs go, then our fat go, and then you really start tapping into your muscles for energy, which you really don't want to do that, which is another counter argument for the low carb high fat approach is that this muscle breakdown for energy can happen as well, especially during ultras. So that's also another counter argument to that. Now I said all this and I forgot what we were talking about. Can you remind me? Yeah. So I was talking about the protein and the importance of protein, because a lot of times I'll protein. think, right, right. Like, Hey, if I put protein in my stomach, now I'm messing with digestion, but, and, and as we even said before, I don't want some big protein gut bomb in there. Right. However, I'll tell you my favorite nutrition ever that I had mm. it was it was actually an Herbalife product. It was called Prolong and they did away with it a long time ago, but the guy that designed it, I remember him talking about, and he talked about at the time he was saying from an endurance standpoint, the optimal split is a 12 to one carb to protein ratio. So it was 60 grams of carbs. So would that be five grams of protein? And I've actually heard you say something very similar. I was like, Oh, that's exactly what I'd heard before. 
And it was, it's surprising to hear that, oh, you actually do need some kind of protein in there to mix with those carbs. So why is protein important? And if that, it, does that number sound about right? 12 to one. Um, yes. And I've actually never thought of it as a ratio like that, but you're exactly right. That is the ratio that I recommend all over the place on my Instagram. You'll see. So yes, I do tend to recommend five to 10 grams of protein per hour for ultra runners. And that is for events that are going to take you six hours or longer. But here's the caveat. I do recommend practicing with protein, even on your shorter training runs that are less than six hours, which are most of our training runs, right? For ultras, just so your body can get used to it because you can train your gut. So here's the reason why protein is important for ultra running. The first is that, so 60 grams of carbohydrate, and really it's actually a range, it's 40 to 90 grams of carb is what's recommended for most ultra runners. When you go under that 40 grams of carbohydrate, um, we do tend to see higher dropout rates. There's research to show it. So that is a lot of carbohydrates for your body to process, right? And a lot of times the most efficient way to get carbohydrates is through really sweet food, right? Um, and so by balancing that sweet carbohydrate content out with some protein, you're gonna find that your stomach can actually handle more food. So that is one benefit. This point to this protein is anecdotal. So the research for including protein in your fuel plans for ultramarathon is there, but the reason why, this reason why you'll be able to tolerate more food is anecdotal. I can't find any research to, to say that that's the truth, but that's what people tell me. And that's also what I found works for myself as well. Another reason why you might want to add protein into your fueling for ultras is you're going to notice that your muscles are going to recover a lot better as well. And so this is actually in the research and it's why that protein is recommended to consume during ultra marathons is because it can actively help repair your muscles while you're out there running. And there's even some research to suggest that downhill running is maybe a time where you want to even consume more protein because it really will actively help repair your muscles. So one thing that you're going to see if you do this is that your muscles are going to be less sore after you're done and you're going to be able to recover faster, which is also really awesome when you're an ultra runner because you don't want to be taken out for a couple of days and not be able to train after your long run when you're building for something big. The third reason why I recommend protein for ultra running is because if you were to be sitting around all like for six hours at your house doing nothing, your body still needs protein. So if you're going to be going and to run for six hours during a day uh, or 12 hours or 18 or 24, or 36 or however long these crazy people are out there for 48, your body still needs protein. So we need to incorporate protein just because of the, the amount of time, the sheer amount of time that it takes to run ultra marathons. There is this piece of a lot of protein foods do tend to have fat in them. So we're also going to be getting fat as well. I can go on a little tangent about fat if you would like me to. Sure. Okay. So here's my tangent about fat. So fat tends to be more savory foods, right? Like bacon and pizza, quesadilla, avocado. These are foods that, you know, ultra runners drool over, especially later on in ultra marathons, right? That's not a bad thing to fuel with during an ultra marathon. It's just one that I don't tend 
to recommend eating a lot of all at once because uh, high fat foods tend to give people GI upset because it takes a little bit longer to digest through your system. And so you might feel that you have a harder time eating foods or you might get heartburn when you're eating too much fat while you're running. So that's a another piece that um, you might just want to be careful of when you choose to, to fuel with foods that are a little bit higher in fat. So I think that, I think those are really good points from a protein standpoint. So everybody to listen in just like, oh, okay, great. I need to incorporate protein, but I would imagine similar to fast that there is a crossover rate that I probably don't need to be pounding a quest bar or 20 to 30 grams, you know, go, Hey, I need to get my protein in because I would right. imagine that also have, could have some digestion issues. Right. So just want to kind of hit that point home for everybody listening. You tell me if I'm wrong. Yes, protein is important and probably critical. However, to your point, five to 10 grams an hour compared to don't crack out the, the big protein bar that's like, you know, going to be this gut bomb that you're sitting with and trying to work through. Like a Slim Jim? <laughs> Slim Jim ain't got much protein, man. That's all fat. <laughs> so Jeremy, you bring up a really good point. Like you mentioned a Quest bar, something that like will often be brought up with my clients when we're talking about what foods to incorporate for their protein is you really have to be careful because a lot of these protein bars are they're high protein, low carb. And so when they do that, they include artificial sweeteners or um, sugar alcohols, or they are higher in fat, which are things, or maybe they also add extra fiber in them as well. That's another thing that you'll see with some protein bars is they're high in protein, they're high in fiber. And guess what? Those, all those things I just mentioned can cause GI upset. So there are things to be mindful of when you are looking for protein sources um, and adding them into your fuel plan. If you want today, my Instagram post, it's, we are recording this on July 11th. I think I posted probably close to 20 examples of protein foods that would be um, things that people could look into incorporating in their fueling. What are two to three off the top of your head that you would say go to? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of liquid nutrition and it having protein in it. So my particular one that I like to use is Hammer Perpetuum. I like the profile of the drink. I'm not a huge fan of their other products, but I do like Perpetuum. They just changed the serving size. So whoever's listening to this, their old serving size used to be two bigger scoops. Their new serving size is two scoops, but they're smaller. So if you use three of their smaller scoops, it will give you the same nutrition profile of their old perpetuum. Three scoops of their new serving size scoop will give you about 51 grams of carb. I think it's right around 215 or 230 milligrams of sodium, and then right around seven grams of protein. So that's just perpetuum. Otherwise, I have clients that do really well with scratch recovery or vegan scratch recovery. I have some clients that use gnarly recovery and tailwind recovery. So those are the other options. I could probably rattle off tailwind's uh, nutrition profile real quick. So I think a serving of tailwind is about 41 grams of carb, 
they're higher in sodium. I like that Tailwind has higher sodium. I think their recovery is right around 400 milligrams of sodium. It's higher than the Perpetuum, which is a great thing when it comes to ultra running. And then I believe they have 14 grams of protein in their one serving of Tailwind recovery. So that would be one where I would recommend like drinking one serving over the course of like two hours using liquid nutrition as a source of carb and protein. And the reason why I recommend using these recovery beverages is because they actually have carbohydrate in them. If you go to protein powders, same thing as like the quest bar, like we were just talking about Jeremy is that those protein powders tend to have artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols to keep the carbohydrate content down, which we don't want when we're ultra running. So anyway, so liquid nutrition, like recovery beverages or perpetuum. And then there are a variety of other like RX bars, cliff bars. I really like the cliff nut butter bar. I think it's super like soft and easy to chew. RX bars, if you cut them up ahead of time in little bite-sized pieces, they go down a little bit easier. There's, I believe, monk pack cookies, spring energy wolf pack, which is another one that is a little bit higher in fat that you'd want to spread out over the course of probably two hours. Or you could get like little tiny amounts of protein in like uh, awesome sauce has two grams of protein in it. So there's other little, little items that are higher in carb that have small amount of protein. So if you have one awesome sauce and like an almond butter, do you guys know those almond butter cookies mm-hmm. that you can get at Costco that are so yummy? Those have three <laughs> grams of protein in them. So you have one of those plus an awesome sauce. you got five grams of protein for your one hour and right around exactly 60 grams of carbohydrate. Let me let me get a point of clarification real quick because um, if I if I'm listening and um, hearing what you're saying, you're like use you know scratch recovery or tailwind recovery for example. I hear those those words out of your mouth and I'm like, so are you talking about like after the run? Or are you talking about like during the run? And I think when we go buy those types of products, we're thinking in terms of after we get done running, we're sitting on our couch with our feet up or whatever it is. But you're actually saying that you think we should be consuming those during our actual long runs as well as our ultras. Oh, yes. It's all marketing. Mm -hmm. It's all marketing, right? So just because it says recovery on it, right? There's no right or wrong. Like we established at the beginning, right? There's no rules when it comes to nutrition. So marketing can can sway the way that we view foods pretty Mm -hmm. significantly. Diet culture does as well. But yeah, those recovery drinks are really like my clients that switch to using them see huge benefits in their their GI distress and in their muscle recovery as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And and that's why I wanted to key key on it again, just to make sure that if you're taking notes or whatever, you're like, I can be drinking my recovery run, recovery drinks during my run. I really like the breakdowns of the 40 to 90 grams of carbs, the five to 10 grams of protein per hour. I'm envisioning though running an ultra I'm running up to an aid station that has a ton of chips and a ton of M&Ms and a ton of Cokes and ginger ales and Mountain Dews and some Swedish fish and maybe has some pickle You're spears. You're listing all of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Some pickle <laughs> spears and, you know, it has a couple of fruits on the thing that haven't been picked up with flies on them, you know, so. Yes. But when I run up to an aid station, like how do we get that 40 to 90 grams of carbs? Because sometimes we crave food that may not be fueling food. Mm. This brings up a really good point And one that 
isn't a very fun answer for me to give because it's really nice to go to an aid station and be like, Ooh, what am I going to eat here? Um, (laughs) I really recommend carrying your fuel that you like, that you know that you need and not depending on aid stations to have what you want to have there. Because we have all had situations where we come across an aid station and it does not provide you with what you thought it was going to provide you with. So, um, so I tell people treat everything at an aid station as bonus food, (laughs) right? Or so, or you get to an aid station and you're like, whoa, these Swedish fish look way better. I'm going to swap out a handful of these from, you know, whatever kind of gel I was going to take. Um, and then I'm not going to worry about taking that gel because I'm eating these Swedish fish instead, or these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches do not have flies on them and they look really good. And so I'm not going to eat my wolf back because uh, I, that doesn't sound good to me right now, but I'm going to eat these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches instead. What'd you say? Wolf what? Wolf pack. Oh, wolf pack. It's a spring energy um, product. Yes. It's got 45 grams of carb. It has 12 grams of fat. So when it's, when something has about 10 grams of fat in it or more, I do tend to recommend people to spread out the intake of that food. Um, and then it's got 47 grams of carb it's pretty low in sodium though only has 25 milligrams of sodium but it's um it's a nice savory it's like the texture is hard for some people because it's pretty thick yeah it's a more savory food what do you think the leading causes of nutrition-based dnfs is oh i think the biggest mistake is under fueling it's not it's not eating enough food to support the energy that you need to keep going and it's uh so it's under fueling and it's waiting too long to eat those are the two biggest. And then um, I would say a third one would be hydration and electrolyte. It's not getting the balance quite right on that. Um, typically the the main thing with electrolytes is not getting enough sodium. Hyponatremia is what that's called in ultra running. And that can cause GI upset, nausea, headache. It can be very serious if you don't get enough sodium to match with your fluid intake. And then of course, heat is another main one that people will talk to me about all of the time when they're talking about their nutrition on race day is they notice that heat will tend to make the day go downhill. So not eating enough, waiting too long to eat, hydration, electrolytes, and heat, I would say are the top four things that cause people to be derailed. So let's be specific. How early should I start to eat? I will be so forward when I am being anecdotal because there's no research to back what I'm saying. (laughs) But other than my clients do really well when they do this and it's starting to fuel within the first hour. So if your goal is to get 60 grams of carbohydrate in per hour, or maybe somebody's is, you know, 45 grams per hour. I have clients that do 90 grams of carb an hour and like just kill it on their races um, and feel amazing. It's the goal would be to get that amount in that first hour. Start of the race equals start of your fueling. Yes. What about Mm -hmm. pre-race? What do you recommend? Yeah. So carb loading has been shown to improve performance on race day by two to 3%. Now for ultra running two to 3% is a pretty big percentage since our races are so long. So it's, 
not necessarily about what you're doing exactly right before, like the hour or two before your race. It's more about what you're doing the two to four days leading up to your race and getting higher amount of carbohydrate in on those days. So like just said, let's be specific. So I tell you, Hey, it's Tuesday. I've got a hundred miler on Saturday. I know we just met. I've only got five minutes with you. What's your recommendation to what I do between now and Saturday? Because most people think carb load, that means the spaghetti dinner on Friday night, mm -hmm. right? Or I, I swing into Olive Garden. I get a bunch of greasy pasta. Oh. But to your point, I, I've, <laughs> I've definitely heard, hey, this is a, a multi-day kind of thing. We can be more strategic about this. So it's a Tuesday. I'm going to be running Saturday. I know we haven't had a chance to work together, but what are like the top tips you would tell me to do between now and Saturday? Yeah. So if you want to get specific with how many grams of carbohydrate to be consuming, you would take your body weight and convert it to kilograms. So let's say that you're 150 pounds. This is the example I give all the time. And I think it's, you divide that by 2.2, which is 68 0.2 kilograms. So we'll just go around it to 68 kilograms. So on a carb loading day, you're going to want anywhere between eight grams of carb per kilogram, all the way up to 12 grams of carb per kilogram of body weight. So if you weigh 68 kilograms, you times that by eight. Now these are the carb loading recommendations. So that would be upwards of 550 grams of carb or 544. And then if you times that by 12, that's upwards of 800 grams of carbohydrate in those days leading up to a race. Each day? Yes. Each day, the recommendation is between two and four days leading up to your race. I tend, like if I'm doing it personally, I tend to start increasing my carbs on three days before a race. And I might go on that lower end on the third day, go a little bit higher on the second day. And then I'm like really, really going for all the carbs on the day before the race. No, that's interesting. So it's really good to hear that, especially your point of it's not just about what you do right before the race, right? Because I think that's where most of us think, okay, I'll do the dinner the night before that's important. And then I'm going to try to get something in my system, but you're talking, okay, let's really stack this thing up and build it up. And I just did the quick math. So if I use 180 pounds divided by 2.2 you're heavy times eight. <laughs> sure. So I mean, talking anywhere from, so like 650 grams of carbs to like 950, somewhere in there. That's a lot. You have to be very intentional. I think that the takeaway is, mm -hmm. is, Hey, being intentional with those days to really be ready for that. Now, I would assume, and we'll, we can talk about it in just a minute, but I would assume you work with your clients to kind of be ready for that. Cause I'm assuming if I just do that and then I show up and I start stuffing 60 to 90 grams of carbs in my stomach every hour for, you know, an ultra that it's not going to go that well, if I haven't taken the time to build up to that, what does it look like to train the gut? And I'm assuming that's important, but how important is it? Oh, it's very important. <laughs> um, yes, it's really important, especially with this method of fueling that I recommend. So one of the first things I do when clients come to me is we get a baseline of how many grams of carbohydrate they're fueling with on like a two or three hour run. 
a lot of the time people are fueling with maybe 20 or 30 grams total for those types of runs, which is not surprising to me. And so then we'll go, okay, so your baseline for carbohydrate intake for one hour is right around probably 10-ish grams of carb. So the next two to three hour run that you go on, I want you to increase it by five to 10 grams. So we're going to plan out and we're going to try and do 15 to 20 grams of carb per hour for two hours. Some people are quite sensitive and this takes a while. This takes building up very slowly and it takes eating carbohydrate on even just one hour runs to get their gut used to consuming that amount of carb. And so we just slowly build from there and people notice a huge difference in their energy levels during the run and after they notice huge recovery improvements as well when they start to fuel with more carbohydrates. So then we just like slowly creep up from there. Once we get up to maybe about 40 grams of carb an hour, then we might start adding small amounts of protein in there as well. I think it's great. I know that early on, and even in some of our earlier episodes, you know, I tended to focus on 250, 300 calories was the goal. And I recognized yeah. that the reason that I picked that was based off things you could get out of goos and stuff like that. And yet, if you look at the carb content of a goo, it's going to have anywhere between 18 to 22 grams of carbs. And it wasn't until we had a more, I don't remember who the guest was. A few guests ago, I've talked about the idea of carbs and it, what I hope that people who've been following us for a while have maybe evolved in as well is that if we can change the focus from calories to carbs, we will begin to target a better volume of fuel that we need other than make sure I have my one goo, which says on the back of it, take this 45 minutes before you need it. And, and that's, the, that's the stipulation behind a goo because most people got involved in this because they were doing marathon training and goos were the go-to source that they were using. Yeah, and, and the guest was Hayden Hawks, who is performing at a very high level, right? Mm-hmm. So he even he made the comment, hey, if you're gonna be out hiking, that's not as important. If you want to eat peanut butter and jelly, you want to do some of these things. But if you're going to do what you help clients do, which is maximize performance, then I think focusing on carbs versus just calories, because that's really what we're tr- most of us are trying to do. Show up on race day and get the most out of ourselves, which means we're probably not just lollygagging along if we can help it. But we want a certain level of, of effort there. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Jeff. I oftentimes forget about that because I get like, so in my headspace about carbs that I forget like, oh yeah, still pe- like people still count calories. And that's mm-hmm. like one thing I don't recommend doing because yeah, like you said it, it's not the most efficient way to calculate your fuel. Yeah. If you look at our earlier episodes, I mean, I remember us talking about that. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you're getting this number of calories. I'm like, oh, not anymore. No, you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to your point, I think for most people, you go to the running store and most of the products that you're going to be fueling with, if that's where you're starting is carb centric, right? And so you're getting your calories from carbs. However, then when we get out there and it's like, now you have this buffet, right? And it's, we're not just popping gels. Like you said, it's like, Ooh, avocado, that sounds great, but that may not be the best thing to do that. And then turn around and try to run, you know, as fast as I can to the next aid station. So let me jump in. Um, You mentioned that we need to eat early and often, right? Let me go back to there. And we we talked about before we did this carb loading for three or four days, I'm now at the start of my race. You're recommending that we eat within the first hour. I agree with this recommendation also for my own personal experience I've seen. (laughs) However, it's really hard to get it through my thick head that even though I am not hungry, 
that I need to eat. So how, how do you help runners have the vision of understanding that what I eat now in this hour isn't because I'm hungry right now? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, when people work with me, I like almost force them to like fuel every single training run they go on. Like we're fueling like hill repeats. We're fueling speed intervals. We're fueling just the easy 60 minute runs throughout the week. So I feel like my, like when I think of my clients, like they don't have a problem remembering to eat because they've just like been drilled into them that they need to be feeling like all the time. It is hard to make yourself eat when you don't feel like eating, or oftentimes we forget about eating because we don't feel like eating. One would be changing the mindset around your feeling like, I don't feel like I'm going to, I need this food, but I know that my body needs this fuel and I will do better in later miles if I start fueling now. So that would be a knowledge piece and a mindset piece. Um, and then when it comes to actually just remembering to eat, uh, put a timer on your watch. Um, I had a lady, one of my first clients ever, she got a, a timer and would clip it to her running pack because she, the one on her watch didn't work well. And it would just like buzz in her mm -hmm. face. And then she did that long enough and she didn't need it anymore because then she got in to enough of a habit where she was like, ah, I like eat every 30 minutes now. I don't need the timer to tell me to do it. It's just like habit. So as a follow-up to that, cause I mentioned in the intro, I usually have no problem eating, but I get to a point where I'm just like, ah, like nothing sounds good. It's not like it makes me feel not, I'm just not hungry, right? That lack of appetite. And I know I need those foods. Just train the gut the way that you've talked about during the different runs, during the hill repeats, that type of thing. Do you find that that helps your clients with that? Or are there other tips or tricks to prevent lack of appetite or other tips or tricks to deal with it? I, you know, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Help, help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happy to. Um, all of the above. There are things that you can do to prevent that from happening or like prolong it from happening, right? So like, when does it normally set in for you, Jeremy? Like why around how many miles or time? Um, I feel like it tends to be like 50 miles plus. And so also to give you some of my background, in the last few years, I've been focused on backyard ultras, which are lower intensity as well, right? So I'm not going out and <laughs> trying to burn it up. Just after a while, it's like, gosh, I feel like I'm eating so much. It just... My wife is like, what do you want? I'm like, ah, nothing. And so I'll pick the thing I that I think goes down the easiest. Right. But I, I wish, and I watch other people just consume and consume. And I'm like, how do they still have an appetite? And I would say that's pretty common from the clients that I work with as well, as they would say that it's usually around that 50 mile mark or maybe 12 hours or so. Right. One thing I would focus on when it comes to not wanting to eat a, about 50 miles would be making the variety of the amount of food that you are eating like huge. And so this is another area where you can practice on your short runs. You can practice eating a bunch of different stuff. And so there's kind of, you, you want sweet stuff, you want salty stuff, you want savory stuff, you want liquid stuff, and you want fresh stuff like fruits and vegetables are like, even like a fresh sandwich, getting a variety of food and starting eating a variety of food the earlier on during a race is going to help set you up uh, later in the race to be able to keep more of that appetite. Like, honestly, I think it's inevitable to hit some kind of point where you're just like, 
oh, I don't want to eat anything. Like if I didn't say that, I'd be lying. Like our body is going to get annoyed with eating. (laughs) So I think really fresh foods or liquid foods can be really helpful for people. So um, getting like a fresh smoothie, which is like, I can handle smoothies just fine. Some people that causes like GI or poop issues, but, um, or eating like a nice fresh sandwich, if you can get one of those along the course or eating a nice fruit salad for backyard ultra, you could totally make this happen for some ultra marathons. This would you're like, people are thinking like, yeah, right, Julie, this is not possible. Otherwise liquid nutrition, which is like that recovery beverage where you don't really have to eat anything. All you got to do is drink it. And my next piece of advice would be to have a mindset of like, I need to work through this because I'm going to get on the other side of not feeling like eating and not eating is going to make this worse. I will caveat it with, I I'm almost always taking in liquid nutrition. And so really where I get to the point is just actually chewing food, putting food in. But, um, I have, I do tend to do pretty well with liquid nutrition. So I'm always getting some type of calories in that way, but I got to give Jeff the head nod. He's been a big proponent forever. I will say, go, go squeezes come in uh, clutch because of kind of what you said goes down easy. It gives you that jolt or just straight apple juice. It just, the apple juice, I feel like it's like rocket fuel for about eight minutes and then I crash, but, <laughs> but, it, but it'll give you the, the boost. I'm going to follow up with a clarification just because if, if you said what I think you said, I don't think I have done it this way. So I want to find out if I need to change something, but you mentioned that we need to have a big variety. And so I do believe in variety as well, but when I get to most of my crew stops, I have a set things that I've already pre-forecasted what I'm going to have at this particular aid station or stop and this next one, the next one, and on and on. But I don't intentionally change from one crew stop to the next stop. I don't have variety between them early on. In other words, it's always going to be the same set to choose from. But if I'm hearing you correctly, that the more variety I have in the earlier times, in other words, if I say at this crew stop, I'm going to have this particular food item, and then the next one, I'm going to have a different one or different options to choose from, then I will prolong my desire to not eat because I haven't gotten so burnt out on eating the same thing over and over again to where I just don't want anything. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. The more variety that you incorporate earlier in a race is going to set you up to be better later on in a race. So you're not as sick and tired of these foods. That's a good tip. You know what I'm trying to say there? Oh yeah. And, and I will say I've been spoiled in, in like the, the capital backyard. Every time you come through that, they've got something completely different. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, there's, you know, smoothies and then there's some type of something different. And I have noticed for sure that by, trying to take different types of foods every time it really does prolong it versus kind of the first time I did it. And we were talking about you can, I'm interested in, in if you're familiar with, you can, it worked really well, but I took it every lap, you know, like forever. It felt like, and it worked really well, but I haven't been able to do it effectively since, because I think I just burned myself out on it. So I think what you're asking, at least in my limited Yes, doing the variety early on has made it easier for me to keep an appetite later. I still lose it. Do you mind me asking what kind of liquid nutrition? You mentioned that you always have a liquid nutrition. What are you using for that? Yeah, so the stuff that I've been using most recently, it's highly H, 
Y-L-E. It used to be long haul nutrition. Um, and so Chris oh, okay. Roberts, my first backyard that I ever did, he was solo. He made the stuff himself. I think it was kind of his recipe. And I watched him fuel himself to 56 hours. And then shortly after, after that, but they recently changed their name. I think it's pronounced highly, but it's the H-Y-L-E. And that's kind of been my go-to in recent history. Is it mostly carb and sodium? I have to pull up the label to kind of go through it, but yes. So if you want my unsolicited advice, it would be to keep that, but also add a liquid nutrition that has some protein in it. They may already have it. Yeah, I would have to, I would have to look to see if it does have any protein in or not, but I'll have to- Yeah, I was it. just going to try and Google it. I heard of long haul nutrition, but I didn't know they- so I'm in the middle of a race. I know y'all are Googling, but y'all are going to have to stop. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of a race. I'm feeling nauseous for whatever reason, which means I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. What do I do? Yeah, this is a, this is a tricky situation and one that I would recommend you take a little self-assessment. How much have you been eating? How much have you been drinking? Was your intensity higher? When was the last time that you ate? Like, has it been an hour and a half since you ate something last? Have I only been drinking plain water? Or have I only been drinking tailwind and eating nothing else? Um, because these are all things that could potentially be leading to you feeling nauseous. So if it's been an hour and a half since you've eaten something, then it's probably that your body needs food and a, a way of your body telling you that it needs to slow down is by getting nauseous feeling because it doesn't have enough fuel to, to support that energy that you're putting out. So then in that situation, I would say slow down and, and pick something in your pack that's easy for you to eat. If you've only been drinking plain water, then I would say tap into a high sodium food source. Hopefully you have one on you, or maybe you have salt tabs that you can take, or maybe switch over to an electrolyte beverage that's high in sodium. Or if it's the opposite of that, maybe you've only been drinking like a high sugary tailwinds, a uh, high sodium beverage, then maybe your body is needing something more solid in that situation. So maybe you pull out a bobo bar or a monk pack or um, something that you can actually chew on and get a little bit more sub substance in your stomach. So take a self-assessment and then see if you can kind of self-diagnose something would be I. And of course, learning how to self-diagnose is a skill and something that's learned and that of course, working with somebody like myself would be able to help you figure out how to do that. I think it's a good answer, actually. I know you said you didn't feel like it was very specific. But I think it's actually a good answer because in that self-assessment, okay. I also assume I have to assess, have I been hitting my fueling numbers or have I been overeating as well, which could also result in nausea? Overeating, in my opinion, for an ultra marathon would be pretty unlikely okay. unless you all of a sudden eat a bunch of food and you haven't practiced with it, right? Like you haven't trained your gut to tolerate all of that food. Then in that situation, it's maybe not necessarily that you've overeaten, but it's that your body wasn't used to being able to digest that food while being active. So the recommendation is up to 90 grams of carbohydrate for endurance uh, events. That's a lot of food. A lot. So to get 
over that, in my opinion, as a dietitian with the dietitian brain that I have, knowing what I know about food, to be consistently getting over 90 grams of carbohydrate would be really, really hard. And there's also research to suggest that even going above 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour can be beneficial. That's newer research. One that I'm like, oh, I don't think that's beneficial for ultra running because I think it would just lead to people getting sick, like overeating. But that 90 grams of carbohydrate, in my opinion, is really hard to get to. Like my happy sweet spot is right between 50 and like 65 grams of carb per hour. Okay. Um, And I do really well with that. But per our previous conversation, you answered that question with the assumption that we're focused on carbs. If I just had a big avocado wrap, or if I just had something nut butter centric or something like that, or I just had my quest bar because I've heard of protein. So I hear you say, Hey, it's hard to, it's probably hard to overeat. However, it probably would be easy to eat the wrong mix that now could cause a nausea or something like that because we're having digestive issues. So that's a good point. Yes. That's yeah. a really, really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I was just saying, so if you're listening, I think if we're doing it right, it's probably hard to overeat. If we're doing it wrong, it's probably not that difficult to throw down the wrong thing and then head out down the trail and go, Oh, what just, you know, what just slowed my stomach down. So paying attention. Um, let, let me ask, I just want to ask, because I know from a fluid and hydration, you've mentioned it a few times. I'm going to ask the same kind of question. Okay. I've got a hundred miler this weekend. What should I do between now and then? And what should my race day fluid intake look like? You know, just from a quick, give me some guidelines that I need to be thinking about from hydration. Leading up to your race day, it would be making sure that you're well hydrated. So you have pale pee. Um, for most people, if you take a multivitamin, that might make your pee really bright yellow <laughs> and you might still be very hydrated. So um, the jury is still out for me when it comes to preloading sodium up before a race. I've heard some conflicting theories right there about nutrition and, you know, having like a preload of X amount of sodium that is specific to an individual uh, based off of their sweat rate or something that they've calculated. I don't think that it's going to hurt somebody. And if anything, it would help you retain more fluid ahead of a race. If you do incorporate some sodium on race day, my recommendations are the bare minimum. All right. So my, my recommendations are the very bottom of the barrel of what a, a ultra runner needs on an hourly basis. So that's, 14 ounces of fluid or about 400 milliliters of fluid per hour. And that fluid can come from any kind of fluid. It can come from tailwind. It can come from a recovery beverage. It can come from plain water. And then you need to match that fluid intake with sodium. So that would be bare minimum of 250 milligrams of sodium per hour. I have athletes that replace their sodium upwards of a thousand milligrams of sodium per hour because they are heavy, salty sweaters and they've done sweat tests and they've worn all of the gizmos and gadgets that lead us to understand that they sweat out a lot of salt. So they replace at a much higher rate. If hydration doesn't seem to be as big of an issue for you, most people with my experience do just fine somewhere between 300 and like 700 milligrams of sodium replacing that at an hourly rate. 
So is there a top side? You said those are the minimum numbers. Is there a max uh, amount of sodium I should have in an hour? I haven't come across a top side. Hypernatremia is still a risk factor. So that would be having too high sodium in your blood, in your body. In my opinion, and what research shows is that that is a much lower risk for ultra runners compared to hyponatremia. So we're moving and we're sweating out a lot more sodium. So therefore uh, it's harder to replace it opposed to over getting sodium and getting too high. Yeah. It's a much smaller risk. I get that question a lot because we get scared by the sodium numbers. Um, Like (laughs) it sounds like a lot of sodium to be consuming every hour, but we just have to reassure ourselves that it is what your body needs. Yeah. One of the things I've been using every now and then is precision hydration. It's got 60, um, 60 grams of carbs, probably 60 grams of carb. And then then they have different levels of of sodium. Yeah. They have different levels of sodium in their products. Yeah. All right. So I know we have kept you way longer than we ever promised. So so here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of do a summary of what I believe I learned tonight. And you can tell me if, if I'm on or off base, but so here's some of, some of my big takeaways. One is I want to work to train the gut during training. So it's not just about what we take in on race day, but to your point, and a lot of times I do a lot of my morning running fasted, but I'd probably be better off trying a variety of foods and really working to be able to process 60, 90 grams of carbs. So one is I want to train my gut in training. And then two on race day, I'm looking 40 to 90 grams of carbs, but I want to make sure I'm including five to 10 grams of protein per hour as well, which is something that a lot of us are probably overlooking. Leading up to the race, this is one of my favorite things is because you gave the math behind it, but weight divided by 2.2 and then multiply that number by anywhere from eight to 12 grams of carbs. And we can use that as kind of a zone to get into a race fully ready and carb loaded. Then as far as my hydration goes, looking at a minimum of 14 ounces of fluid an hour with 250 milligrams of sodium. But then obviously the upside is better and the jury's kind of still out on what the maximum may be there. Tell me how I did. Awesome. You got a great summary. Well, here's the thing. So I don't even think we've mentioned, I mentioned Instagram at the beginning. So it's at ultra dot running dot nutrition. So at ultra running nutrition, you put out so much great info out there all the time. Like you said, you give a lot of your personal kind of experience as well. Things that have worked for you, examples of things. You mentioned that with the protein, you've also got a link in your bio. So if somebody's interested in working with you, I think this is great. You've got a link in your bio. And when you click on that link, you're going to see two things. One, you're going to see a form that you can fill out and to set up an appointment with you to to talk, but you're also going to see a fueling ultras program video. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody's interested, go watch that video. You do a great job of kind of talking about what you do, what you specialize in, what they're looking for. And I got to be honest, one of the, to be transparent, one of the things I love about your form is that you've got your pricing right there, right? So before anybody takes the time and sets it up, you really give them the information to understand if what you do is right for them in terms of working one-on-one. But if anybody's listening and you are looking for a resource, obviously there's a lot of great information that came up tonight, but if you're looking for somebody to really help dial in, because I know you work with the individual. Mm -hmm. So we kind of talk general principles, 
but you are going to help people dial their stuff in. And so everybody listening, go check that out for sure. I, I love you. it. I, yeah, I think you are fantastic. And I think anybody who signs up with you will be definitely doing themselves a, a favor if they're unsure about the nutrition. And so um, I appreciate all of your information. And, and I think when you get people like us that challenge our own beliefs, I think it's a good thing. And so um, I, I think you're fantastic at what you do. Thanks, J squared. Can I call you that? <laughs> that's it. No, no. Gonna, that's our new band name. No, if we give up podcasting, we're going to start a band called J squared. That's going to be, that's going to land on Instagram somewhere. I have a feeling. <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. This has been really fun. I was able to listen to a few of your episodes leading up to this. And um, I think you guys do a great job interviewing people. Thank you for entertaining our little tangents today too. So <laughs> absolutely. And for the ultra running guys family, as always, just thank you so much. We appreciate you more than, you know, and I'll ask again, you know, if, if you're finding value, go share it with friends, make sure people are hearing what Julie has to offer. And Julie, we're going to keep you around for, I know it's late, but we're going to keep you around for just a minute to do a segment for Patreon. But again, no thank problem. you. Thank you so much for your time. And to thank everybody you. else, we'll talk soon. Cut. So is Jeff the one in the blue and Jeremy's the one in the red? That's correct. Okay. You beat us to the punch. We were going to introduce ourselves, but we won't now. Background, I'm the extrovert, so I like people anyways. Um, I like people. I just don't like hanging out with them. Well, that's, but, but <laughs> what, what's your thoughts on caffeine before bed? <laughs> she loves caffeine. She mentioned it her last podcast. <sighs> from Trail to 100. If I have caffeine afternoon, it's like, I can't fall asleep. So I've got like, I really can't have it unless I'm supposed to stay up for like an ultra or crewing yeah. somebody or something. Guys are really getting a good deal out of this. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. I'm about to like get me some free clinical care. That's right. <laughs> Please apologize to your family for just J1 of the J squared. J squared. J just. My husband's name is Justin, so we're J squared too. Triple J. Triple J. Oh, she's a J, she's a J squared. That's right. So it's mm -hmm. J. What? J, J to the J, fourth power. J four squared. I don't even know. Justin's like, okay. Anyways, next question. How do you fix me? Fix me. <laughs> I'm dying over here. I would actually like to ask you a question real quick. What's your background? What are you guys? Uh, uh, what do you? Is podcasting your main deal, or are you? <laughs> no. I, I I'm gathering kind of radio host vibes. Are you? That's so you funny. Have, we are skilled. You have this? And uh, not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> all right, listen. Thank you so much. We recognize the fact that you are probably just hanging on just for a couple more minutes as you're finishing up your run. But really, we do want to give you a huge thank you for the constant support that you've shown us. We hear you and we feel you. And the best way for us to continue to grow is for you to share us with your friends. Tell them what you put in your ears when you're out there on a long run. Hit the like button, leave us a comment, um, leave a review, and give us some direct feedback on what you like about the show and also what you don't like. We're here to improve and do it for you. And it really means the world. And listen, if you would like to support financially, you can connect with us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the ultra running guys, or you can use the support link in the show notes. Any and all support goes directly back into growing the show and helping us get better at what we love to do, which is to serve all of you. And with that, finish up that run, get cleaned up, and just show up clean, clean. <laughs>